0: The College Planning Edge. Multiply your odds of getting into your dream college and get your hands on thousands of dollars of fat, juicy scholarships. Brought to you by Lockwood College Prep. Helping college-bound families get the edge in college admissions, financial aid, scholarships, and test prep. All right, this episode of the College Planning Edge podcast was originally a webinar that I did with a very simple format. I asked everyone in the beginning of April 2021 to submit their burning college question, meaning questions about getting into college, about paying for college, about photoshopping for college. Ha 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 ha. Just kidding. Um, And turned out we had about 119 people on the episode, the webinar, and I got a lot of great questions. So sit back and relax, and you'll probably hear some great questions that you had on your mind, and you will definitely... Here are some questions that you had not thought about. Oh, one last pro tip. The, uh, the first uh, four minutes or so is, the, I guess, the audio of a, pr- a sort of um, preview video that I did before the webinar. So you're just going to have to imagine what the images were in the on, on the video as you listen to it. Sit back and enjoy, and thanks for listening.
1: All right. The fallout from this college scam just beginning, and top-name actresses who uh, will be uh, appearing in court today. Rained on all of this, and just how far this entire mess went, we don't know. College consultant Andy Lackwood is with us. It, it would seem particularly more difficult to get into some of these Ivy League schools because they have such a fortress mentality. College is what you got to do. How you handle an interview is that you go through the testing and all that, and for parents as well, but. How did he sell himself?
0: Well, I can just tell you my personal experience, because we have kids also that I work with one-on-one who get into Stanford, Harvard, Yale, MIT, Princeton, et cetera, but virtually every week there is a parent who will say, like, so who do you know? So many different like facets of the college process that I didn't really understand. Um, in
1: terms of like exactly how to navigate the common app, like what filling out supplements meant, like how important interviews were and like the extent to which we needed to go see and tour schools
0: um, and just like basically trying to make my college list because I knew that, I knew the type of school I wanted to go to but I didn't know exactly like how I would come about that or what schools needed to be
1: on my list. College consultants and radio hosts Andy and Pearl Lockwood say more college applications are coming in, driving acceptance rates down with selection based on far more than academics.
0: A kid who's got an international background, who's an underrepresented minority, who's an athlete, who's a, who's a, uh, a musician, great community service, who's a legacy, all those types of categories, those are chosen for two th- up to two thirds to
1: 80%. We really love the fact that their starting point was all about finding the right fit for my daughter and and helping her uncover a path. I was generally looking up online and um, I
0: looked you up and obviously you had extraordinary reviews. Which was, that's where it was cool to have you to
1: talk to. You, you made it a lot more, like more relaxing mm-hmm. and fun because I think that's what I needed. It relieved my wife of all the uh, the anxiety and the tension. Everything was taken care of. It was almost like, take me, take me wherever you want me to go, I'll go. And it turned out, it turned out just perfect. Colleges bargaining more than ever says college advisor Andy Lockwood who just penned a how to negotiate in what he calls a banner year for haggling. Colleges themselves are scrambling to hit their enrollment targets. Andy Lockwood is a five-time best-selling author, speaker, and internationally renowned expert on college admissions and financial aid whose advice has helped more than 7,907 families from coast to coast and outside the United States maximize their odds of admission to highly selective colleges and comfortably afford tuition without having to cut back on their current lifestyle or sacrifice their retirement. He is the leading expert on how to negotiate with colleges. Andy and his wife, Hurl Lockwood, own Lockwood College Prep in Long Island, New York. Pearl and Andy are talk show entrepreneurs, show hosts and podcasters and have been featured multiple times by local, national and international media such as The Wall Street Journal, Fox Business News, CBS and even Netflix. The Lockwoods clients include high-income business owners, student athletes, divorced and separated families, high school principals, superintendents, college professors, accountants, and lawyers who value unvarnished, occasionally blunt professional advice. Andy is the creator of the P4 system, a different, backwards comprehensive approach to college planning that helps select families optimize their odds of admission to great colleges that will help launch their children for success post-college while paying wholesale prices even if they think they can't qualify for any financial aid. Call Andy, get some good advice. Uh, You really have nothing to lose because It can only save you money on tuition. I meet people all the time who are uh, supposedly college advisors and uh, what I see over and over again is that many of them collect uh, a person's money and uh, the child ends up at the college that he or she probably would have ended up on his own. Uh, But in your case, uh, I saw saw real results.
0: What is your crystal ball saying about tonight's webinar? Oh boy, it's going to be a good one. Welcome to tonight's Q and A. You got Qs, I have As. Question and answers unplugged. You're burning college questions. I'm Andy Lockwood from Lockwood College Prep, joined by Madam Pearl or Peloton Pearl Lockwood in the other room there, womaning chat. Uh, this is kind of a different webinar than we usually do. One that I prefer because I don't have to do any of the work to to um, to uh, create slides. I have five plus pages of pre-submitted questions that I uh, printed out this morning. I know we had a whole bunch come in afterward. So I'm gonna do my best to get through these in about an hour. I don't know if I can promise that, but I will do my best. And um, if you have any questions that come up, flag them as questions in the chat. Pearl will be um, moderating. And it looks like you guys can hear me and see, I believe, Chris from Germany. Genshin from Boston and from suburban Chicago. That's about as precise as I need to know, I guess. Hello to Adina, Christina Albano, uh, Deborah from Merrick. All right, D Scott Myers. Should I ask what the D is for? No. Um, and all right, Professor Daria is there from uh, from from Ohio. Very nice. Okay, so. Gary said my wife, my wife said you looked very sexy in the movie. I think, think you're referring to your wife needs glasses and my 43 seconds of Netflix glory, which was the payoff for uh, sitting on that stupid stool for about um, three hours. So, okay. So let me get right into this. Cause I, um, I, I, I have a lot here. So I'm going through pre-submitted questions. If you're just joining us, welcome. And here we go. So, this is from uh from Trisha. how optional really is test optional and by the way i am going to I'm, not only am i going to be going fast but i'm also going to be just spewing out what i believe to be truth you know my, my facts you may have your own definition or versions of the truth i'm not here to convince you i'm just sharing what i have found to be true but guidance counselors may not agree with me other parents may not agree with me okay that's my disclaimer uh now i can actually start how optional really is test optional so the answer is um that there's a difference between test optional and test blind very few schools are test blind uh, I think the UC's uh, the California schools are test blind for in-state but maybe not out of state test optional means if you uh, choose to submit test scores then uh, we will consider them if you choose not to then we will not consider them does that really give you an advantage if you have low test scores but very high grades and scores sometimes most of the time no so this is just what i'm experiencing so far it does allow um low-income families and people don't have as as much opportunity to possibly get into schools without being at the disadvantage of not being able to take prep courses you know for two years and tens of thousands of dollars Um, however one one of the big caveats is that if you get into a college that's test optional and you don't submit your scores you may have also knocked yourself out of the running for merit aid because so much of the merit aid scholarships that are out there are based on your test scores. So you could get in but not be able to get any merit aid. That's uh, um, that's the often unreported side of test optional. All right, moving along really quickly. And again, if you have questions, pop them in. I will try to get them. I'm not sure how much time I'm gonna have, but I will do my best. Okay, this one's about extracurricular activities. And we had a few about extracurriculars. So, extracurricular or volunteer activities, especially face-to-face ones have been extremely limited over the past year. How can we maximize on an application what my child has been involved in? So so similar questions were about um, what can I actually do for extracurriculars? Cause it seems like everything has been shut down. I can tell you generally that um, the, the kids are gonna look the best on college applications and frankly, internship interviews and job interviews will have something to say when they are, uh, when they're asked, what did you do during the shutdown? If you don't have anything to say, then that's not gonna help you. It's gonna gonna hurt you compared to other kids, competitors, either competitor college applicants or competitor for internships, et cetera, who were entrepreneurial, who did do their own thing. Um, So I can tell you, you know, in our own family, uh, my daughter, Lizzie, she over the summer this past summer she worked for um volunteered for a doctor and gave um, COVID tests at at senior citizen homes with uh, two of her friends so that wasn't you know so easy to to do or to find but she found a way and that's um i think that's what we all need to be telling our kids to do is to think entrepreneurially and show initiative um because a lot of kids won't so it's really an opportunity it's not So much of an obstacle as it is an opportunity at least the way i think uh sonia will 2023 applications be back to normal quote unquote i don't think they will i we saw a lot of waitlisting and a lot of deferrals this year because of a huge increase in applications there weren't more kids applying but there were more applications going in per child Uh, i think there will be fewer applications per child next year um, because not as many schools are test optional and it'll be easier to visit colleges those are the two contributing factors i think to the to, to schools like colgate saying we were up 102 percent with our applications and most competitive schools being up 30 to 40 percent. but that doesn't mean more qualified kids were applying it just means that more kids were applying to more colleges so i don't think that's going to be as excessive this year but it, it's it's really anyone's guess that's just a hunch okay in, on this one is from, um, I can't tell. If, okay, this is from Yanka. If in this COVID 19 infected college admission cycle, are there still colleges that offer decent, uh, meaning at least 50% tuition scholarships to national merit finalists? Uh, yes, and it's not just to national merit finalists, it's to any kid who is above or maybe in the top 10 to 20% of the cohorts that they are competing with at schools, as opposed to colleges where they have to beg and borrow and steal and scratch and claw their, way, their ways in. So there's still plenty of discounting going on because that is the business model of colleges. High prices, big discount rates, uh, especially the private schools. Okay. What, this is from Kate, what specific college admissions adjustments do we need to make for younger high school classes moving forward? I would say, make sure you have plenty of safety schools. Um, Don't only have top-heavy aspirational schools. And show interest to those safety schools. Don't just blow them off. Attend every info session that you can. Um, Give them some sort of comfort that if they admit you, you will come. All right. M. M. Pk. It seems like uh, that's all I got for a name. It seems like colleges now want to know whether you will attend before they extend an admissions offer. Yeah, that is true. It's not really a now thing though. It's it's been the last ten to twelve years easily. Um, Is applying early decision to a reach school the best strategy over the next few years, assuming you're willing to pay, uh, willing to be full pay? Uh, I have very mixed feelings about going early decision to a reach school because on one hand, I never want to tell someone that I'm working with, you know. Um, don't bother or I don't want to burst the bubble, but on the other hand, frequently the discussion is, well, do you want to use your early decision chit, so to speak, on a college that admit that you have a two percent chance of getting in, or is is that early decision ticket better in uh, used by um, a school at a school that you have a fifty percent chance of getting in? So it's a strategy thing as well as a bubble bursting uh, type of. Uh, discussion. Don, how do you select safety schools? Well, I don't know if this is how does one select safety schools or how do you, you know, how do I select safety schools? I'm narcissistic. I'll start with I. Um, I, we, We select schools in general that are reputable across a cluster of majors that each of our clients is suitable for from our uh, one-on-one career counseling that we offer even though we're college advisors our process is much more about what college prepares you for not the actual four years of school but the 40 years of school one thing i always say to kids is like look if you just spend all of your time picking great schools quote unquote whatever that means and getting you know kind of mired down in how many times should i take the sat or you know what should i write my essay about you know all those things are important but those are sort of like lower level tactical as opposed to a higher level strategic things so I always say like look you wouldn't rush to the airport without any clue where the flight was going right so, so let's talk a little bit about where that flight could be going and generally speaking the three or four different uh, careers and majors that our, our career counsel Julie helps kids you know consider and then we back into a set of schools that is reputable across that cluster of major to the the extent that's possible. So whether that's a reach school, a target school, or a safety school, that's how we pick safeties and every other type of school. And then on top of that, um, you know, safety schools are generally schools where you are in the top 10 to 25% in terms of GPA, SAT or ACT, if you have them, and rigor. That is sort of the thing that's overlooked a lot. How many APs and IBs? Uh, kids have taken not necessarily college classes, not honors. It's really about the AP or IB classes. Um, that's a big deal in admissions. So that was a little bit more of an answer, but I wasn't sure exactly what you were asking. So I thought I'd give a little more of an answer there. Um, all right, Stacy, please give examples of this. And this, I guess, this is from my um, bullet points in my advertising. How highly credentialed students got deferred, waitlisted, or even rejected from safety schools while they're less Lesser credentialed, less quote unquote deserving uh, competitor applicants got admitted. So, what I was referring to in that is this year, many kids who had very high GPAs and scores and rigor got rejected or deferred, mostly deferred or waitlisted from their safeties, whereas kids who didn't have the same chops academically, who had let, you know, lower GPA and SATs and ACTs, did get in. My uh, feeling, not just mine, is that. Those, uh, the reason those kids were admitted is because those colleges, and I'll just use some examples, University of Miami, Tulane, a um, f- few others, they felt they had a better shot at landing the kids who felt kind of lucky to get in as opposed to the higher credential kids who were, you know, using those schools as safeties uh, in their view. That, that's just a theory. We'll see if that can even be proven ever. All right, Gary, is anyone lobbying Congress to reverse the recent change uh, for 2023 and how the expected family contribution will apply to families with multiple kids in college? Let me explain what that means. Um, There's gonna be a financial aid change that goes into effect in 2023 that, um, there's a bunch of changes. And I I did a whole different presentation on this, but one of them is that if you have um, one kid in school now, and another family looks exactly the same on paper as you, financially, income-wise and asset-wise, but they have two kids in college, they have double the eligibility. In 2023, that goes away. Whether you have one or five kids in college, you know, you're going to be considered the same way. Pretty dumb. And uh, there are people, supposedly, who are trying to get that reversed. That's all I know about it, so hopefully that will be uh, reversed. There's also been changes for 2023 for divorced families, um, how a certain untaxed income is treated. So that's uh, you know that's another presentation. That I definitely don't have time to get into here, but I did that one already a few weeks ago. Um, Andrea, how do you think 2022 will look in comparison to 2021? Now, I, I talked about that a little bit before. Um, I think it's gonna be less crazy, but still a little crazy. That's that's my uh, my best guess. Um, Linda Curzon, how do you recommend navigating through being waitlisted by our top pick schools? Is there any chance of being admitted um, what's the best plan for a gap year? So I can answer one of those. So the, the short answer is I think the wait list, the, the action on the wait list is gonna go deep into the summer. That seems to be the, the consensus. So I would commit to whatever school you wanna commit to now, but you know keep your eyes open on your inboxes or your kids should keep their eyes open on their inboxes or actually open their emails maybe occasionally. And um, there, there, could, there could, could be some pleasant surprises that will pose some real dilemmas in July or even August, uh, maybe before. College, behind the scenes, colleges are scrambling to fill seats. So May first is going to come, and they're going A lot of colleges are going to be like, "Oh my God, we need to. You know, we didn't get as many people enrolled. We need to uh, do whatever we can." to, to um, make some deals and get some people to come in here. So th- that might be good for negotiating, too. That's what I'm hoping. Becky, um, what is the most productive way to appeal for better financial aid in this current competitive and still lingering COVID environment? Um, there's really a few, different, um, a few different factors that colleges will consider for aid, uh, for appealing aid. One is, um, well, it's, it all has to do with new information they didn't really know about. So, one is a better offer from uh, a competitor college. That, I, that, that's a great one. You play the schools off against each other. Um, so, if you're planning ahead, if you have a 2022 20, or younger, remember the best defense is a good offense and have schools that compete with each other. Um, another type of change in circumstance is income that dropped. So, in financial aid, there's a two year look back on income. So, for example, um, kids getting financial awards now, ba- that's based on 2019. Um, some people had a better 2019 than they had a 2020. So colleges wouldn't know about what happened in 2020 cause that's not part of the financial aid applications. So explaining, well, two years ago, I had decent income, but this past year it's been awful. So they they might reassess you for that. I've written, I don't know, maybe 50 appeal letters so far this year. And I'd say half of them are kind of like that. Uh, another new circumstance that they might consider is an unusual expense. Like, Medical bills, or a family member moved in, um, legal bills from a divorce, you know, something like that. Not you pay high property taxes. That's not new information because they know where you live from your zip code. So those are the best arguments to make. Um, and then you have to follow each college's protocol. Some, most of the time, they want it. They want it in writing. Sometimes you can call, but I don't usually recommend that unless I trust the client to do it the right way. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, So it varies from school to school to how they want you to appeal. Some have a form, some just say emails. All righty, Sarah. With students waitlisted and deferred from this graduating class, how do we prepare ourselves to stand out and to get as much money from schools next year? Won't it be more competitive? Uh, I don't know if it's gonna be more competitive. I, I anticipate there being fewer applications per student going in there won't be more kids applying, and I don't think there's gonna be a ton of deferrals. Let, last year, people thought there'd be a lot of um, kids taking gap years and all that. But last time I read stats on it, which may be outdated, um, something like 4% took gap years instead of enrolling, but that's not so, so much of a big deal because normally it was around 2.6%. So it's not that there's a lot of kids who are um, lingering and not graduating through college, so um, I don't know if it's going to be that much different in terms of standing out and maximizing your odds of getting in, but I think it, I, I mentioned this before, the more strategic you are about your list, the better. Have plenty of, of safety schools and show that you're interested to those safety schools. All right, what else can I say here? Um, what should class of 2023 20, parents expect? <laughs> yeah, um, it's stressful enough already not knowing what financial aid is going to look like. That is kind of an every year thing, that's from Kathy. So um, you you have to do your best to buckle up and understand it's uh, something that Pearl says all the time. It's like riding a a surfboard and waves, you know, there's ups and downs. Um, Definitely expect a lot of um, uh, twists and turns. Um, You can predict, not terribly accurately, but somewhat accurately, what a college will give you. If each college has a net price calculator on its website, So I'd play around with those and understand they're not, there isn't a uniform set of data. Um, but check out, check that out, check out, um, the college board website lists the school by school, sort of what they report about their own financial aid, um, historical offers, how generous they are. So that'll help you. You know, so much of financial aid is not about uh, how you look on paper your income, your assets, and all that, that stuff's important, but you could look great for financial aid, but apply to a bunch of schools that aren't generous which are generally state schools, that, you know, public schools, that don't have their own money. And even though you have a very low expected family contribution, which is the number that um, the government thinks you can afford to pay for one year of college, that doesn't mean that's what you're going to pay for college, particularly at schools that don't have the money to give you. So, So much of getting money for college partially is about how you look on paper and how your child looks in terms of, um, grades and scores and, and relative to the rest of the class but so much also is based on what pond you fish in how generous that school is <clears throat> uh, susie realistically how many colleges should a student uh, class 22 with great credentials apply to with a crazy low admin rates for 2021 and safety schools rejecting those kids aren't they forced to expand their lists yeah i um i think that you should have um, at least 10 to 12 schools and, and possibly more. If you're applying to a bunch of Ivies, I hate to say this, but um, even more, uh, I don't recommend that normally, but um, you never know with the ivies So a lot of kids apply to all six IVs. Uh, that's a lot of essay writing. I mean, I had a kid this year, um, great guy. He wrote more than 70 essays and then he stopped counting. And I don't blame him. Um, David Greenberg, oh, nice, professor. Professor Greenberg, um, are the safety schools from our day really now reaches? <laughs> yeah, so, um, so, so we went to high school together, uh, Newton North High School, right, right outside of Boston, and um, Northeastern University is a great example of of what uh, Dave was asking about because um, when we were growing up in the '80s, I think Northeastern admitted ninety percent. And, and now their admit rate is below 30-something. It might be in the 20s, it might be even less. Mostly because they figured out, not just Northeastern, but a lot of these schools, BU, um, uh, who else? Tulane, uh, a lot, lot, Miami, they, they learned how to play the game for rankings and solicit more and more applications, which in turn made them more selective. So uh, the great, there's a great article that I would recommend to anyone Um, in Boston Magazine from maybe 10 years ago. It's called How Northeastern Gamed the Rankings. And uh, it's really the story of how they, you know, kind of reverse engineered how US News and World Report does the rankings and they they went out to improve their rankings. And that is why many safety schools back in the day are reach schools now. And that is weird even for me and for Pearl, even though we've been in this, I've been doing this like 21 years, uh, it's still weird. For me, so I admit that. Um, Maria, University of California system is meant to serve the top ten percent of California students. How do you avoid this year's bloodbath for the class of twenty-two? All campuses but UC Merced or reaches or targets for this year's results help. Yeah, I mean, there's been so many weird, radical changes in California, not just the education system, that um, it's forcing a lot of kids to go out of state. I, I don't really have a good answer for that other than don't count on getting into the UCs that you had hoped to get into. And then they're, they're abandoning testing, so I'm not really sure how they're going to evaluate kids. Um, it's it's a big mess there, so I, I feel badly for you, but I definitely don't have a magic wand for that one. I wish I did. Um. Okay. All right, Young, how do you determine when to submit a less-than-stellar SAT score? Is there a rule of thumb? I'll tell you my rule of thumb. This may not be everyone's. If you're in the top 30% of that cohort in terms of grades and scores, maybe even the top half in terms of your scores, I would submit. If you don't submit, the implication is, what do you think of this? If you don't submit your scores, but you attended a school where everyone took the tests, that's sort of the second half, that's part of my rule of thumb. If, if you didn't submit your score, I'm pretty sure admissions officers are not going to think, um, oh, you probably just didn't want to show off. His scores are too high. <laughs> it's 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 obvious the reason you didn't sub- submit scores, um, if you attended a, a district where people could take scores. Now, um, the previous question was from someone in California. I had a client I just talked to him yesterday. He I mean, he got into his top choice school, but he was over six in terms of taking SATs. That's uh, parallel John uh, Hendrickson. Yeah. So um, so he got a break. You know, but kids from other areas, like a lot of, you know, we have kids in private schools that administer the tests in school. So they don't get the same benefit of the doubt for, for test optional the way I understand it. So if you're in the top half, preferably top 30% or, or higher, then I would definitely submit scores. That's my current recommendation, not university accepted. Okay, um, Pam, are SUNY colleges state of, of New York, State universities of New York, Going to be test optional um, for the next admission cycle? Uh, Not that I know of, no. Um, Helen Chen, was the percentage of highly credentialed applicants for this cycle who were waitlisted or rejected actually higher than in the 2019 cycle and prior? Um, My understanding is yes, by far. And what were the primary drivers behind this behavior of admissions teams? It's not really the behavior, they were just swamped by applications, Um, that's why. What's that, Pearl? Oh yeah, right, Um, Pearl made a good point. International students, right after the election, they flooded the uh, 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 colleges with with, um, applications. And remember, we're we're in an era of like budget cuts for colleges, so there were all these, you know, all these colleges reported these huge upticks, 30%, 50%, 102%, but they didn't hire more admissions officers. So they didn't have enough time to go through the applications either. that, That was another reason. Jenka are the chances of admissions improving for a marginal students who does not need financial aid um, I think you're asking if you don't say that you need money if you, or you, you indicate you don't need money will that help your chances of getting in in most cases yes either a little or more than a little uh, except the need blind schools which tend to be the most competitive schools so a marginal student may not be applying to those so that can help um, having, um, having, uh, being a full price person. At any given college, roughly 25 to 30% of the families pay full price. So colleges need them to survive. And, they, and, and in fact, they subsidize the other 75%. So it's a good thing. All right. M. Uh, mm. in, <laughs> amusing myself. In view of the new topsy-turvy world, What do you think is the most important criteria that will determine admissions, um, namely GPA, test scores, et cetera, extracurriculars? Um, In order, it's GPA, rigor, and test scores. Most colleges still want to see test scores. Then it's like everything else, uh, recommendations, um, extracurriculars that demonstrate character, that demonstrate initiative and leadership stuff that not everyone else does, atypical activities, Um, how you show interest to the college. Everything is important, but the big three are GPA, rigor, meaning APs and IBs, if you're just joining us, and you're keeping score at home, and um, and test scores for most schools. Alrighty, Tonya, Uh, if, Admissions next year being impacted by COVID kids taking a gap year, what do you think the COVID gap year influx will run? It's when do you think the COVID gap year influx will run its course? Yeah, I was saying before, um, I don't think it's as pronounced as a lot of people thought, so uh, I'm, kinda, I'm kind of, I'm um, kind of over it a little bit. <laughs> okay, all right, moving along. I just have to make sure um, that I don't answer the same questions twice that'd be dumb Pearl you doing okay in chat there okay Melissa for fall 22 applications how schools view extracurricular activities when many haven't happened and students are burned out and unmotivated Um, I said this earlier in a different way for a different question the answer is uh, everyone's in the same boat so if you can, if your kid can suck it up and do something that is atypical and shows initiative and think entrepreneurially, that is a huge advantage. So, uh, so do that instead. <laughs> um, I didn't say that you know my advice would be easy to follow, but that that is definitely the best advice I can give for that question. Paul, my daughter's on the freshman waitlist for um, Baruch. blah blah ba ba Do we accept another SUNY and then if Baruch accepts, decline the first one? Yeah, sure. I would definitely cover your bases. And accept the offer that is your current best choice. Um, that is related to a question that I've gotten about double depositing. So a lot of colleges say you can put your housing deposit in, and we expect you not to do that to any other uh, any other college. And that's probably the party line for what's ethical. What I want to suggest, and this is I'm an amateur ethicist, to be clear, so you have to govern yourselves accordingly. But I would suggest is that perhaps. Your highest duty of loyalty is not to the college um, or to your high school guidance counselor, but to your own family. And um, I just can tell you, in the past, I know a lot of people who put in deposits in more than one college, and they don't get caught, or they hopefully don't get caught. Um, so what I'm getting at is, uh, govern yourselves accordingly. I know I said that before, but um, if you do decide to put down deposits at multiple schools, I as an amateur ethicist will not join you. I mean, will will not um, judge you. Did I mention before that this is a non-refundable free workshop? So um, yeah, so that reminded me right there, that prompted me. This is a free non-refundable workshop, exactly. Um, Molly Fallon, I talked to your mom today and your dad was too busy, he's playing golf, in case you're wondering. Uh, Molly, are you better off submitting a less than average test score or no test score at all in this new test optional world. Molly, I expect you to crush the SAT. Don't talk, don't think like a loser, Molly. I'm kidding. Um, no, I, I think it's a school by school choice and I mentioned that before. If you're, if you're at the middle to top of the range, I would submit. If not, I would not submit. Um, Molly is a great student and she's gonna do very well, just to be clear. Brad, with more colleges moving to permanent test optional, um, that's, I don't think that's the case, by the way. So I question your premise, Brad. Uh, <laughs> feisty. Um, non-refundable. Uh, how much, uh, how much more important will GPA be? Yeah, so, so, um, oh, then, then, <laughs> then uh, Brad is talking about how great his high school is. Okay, good and great, great deflation. Yeah. So if you don't submit scores, that by just mathematically, um, that makes every other part of your application, you know, much more. Important, so um, you know, including recommendations and rigor, etc. So uh, colleges, for the most part, are temporarily test optional. They're still playing around with it. Um, very few are test blind, like the UCs for out-of-state kids. So I would I would count on um, submitting if you can. Hector, how accurate is the information on iPads? versus the useless zeroed out information on the CDS for most top tier and IB institutions. (sighs) I don't even know what either of those is. I'm sorry, I'm probably gonna sound ignorant here. Um, So I don't know if it's information on admissions results. I assume that's what it is. I I generally go by what colleges report themselves. There are ways to skew the stats. But they, um, you know, they will report their admissions um, percentages. I saw something from Boston College the other day. they you know, one one of our clients, uh, Chris Couch. I don't know if she's watching tonight. She posted something in our client-only um, Facebook uh, secret page about um, how BC. I don't know if you saw this. But BC was bragging about how they, you know, had more applications than ever and the most diverse class ever. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. Right. So I'm like, yeah, it was so diverse. We admitted white kids from Boston, white kids from Maryland, white kids from Westchester County, New York, and Long Island. (laughs) So, um, but I I would go right, you know, right to the college source uh, themselves. Uh, Giselle, where to start? Uh, Well, start at the beginning, Giselle, Gisella. Um, I, I, so so I mentioned how I think this process should should happen and again I'm you know not universally universally followed or um, people don't people don't think I walk on water for some strange reason I think it's, it's not about the four years it's about the 40 or 50 years after and that's where you start explore that get a good sense not just anecdotally but objectively like how you're wired and what that could translate into in terms of place as plural in the world where you can love what you do and actually make a living at it and then pick schools and back into, it's a backwards approach, then back into schools that are reputable across those majors. Now, granted, most kids have no clue, you know, why they want to be forensic scientists other than because they watch every NCIS, but they really don't know what people do all day in various careers. So that's where it helps to actually do some research. And I told you our process, if you do it on your own, it's the same, I would recommend the same process. Um, but uh, you know you start with the end multiple outcomes uh, cuz if you don't do that then you know a lot of people they switch majors once or twice or three times and wham you're on the 6-year plan at 75 grand a pop or you know you major in something that you know no employer is going to value and uh, you end up you know w- you know coming out of college after spending 300,000 dollars and you're working Chipotle something like that so that's why i think starting at the end is where to start all right share douglas um, what do you think about going the community college route and then transferring to a UC in California after two years? Um, I think it's a good, I think everything should be on the table. I really do, it's a big It's a big money saver. The only thing I don't always love about that strategy is that many kids show up in a school um, two years in and everyone else has their friends and all that. But I think this um, current era that we're in uh, that's not as common. I, th- I think a lot of people come and go, and uh, especially with online schools. So I'm not as uptight about that as I was maybe two years ago. So I think I think it's a great strategy. Just make sure all your credits transfer. I mean, if you're going from a community college in California to a UC or a Cal State in California, that's probably fine. Um, but if you're trying to use community college credits and then go to a, like a private school, maybe then you know you got to be very careful that. You know if you think you're entering as a first semester sophomore you want to make sure that you're not entering as a second semester freshman because they don't accept all your credits Mike uh, how important how important is class rank my son's school does not release this info um, most colleges most high schools don't do that anymore so it is much less important okay so don't worry about it Dan <laughs> Um, by the way, I think Professor Greenberg um, was either number one or number three in our class, because his t- twin brother was the other one or three. Yeah, and uh, um, that's that's what I recall. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I was not number two or <laughs> or, or, or anything else. Uh, Dan, no standardized test scores. Why? um for uh, ostensibly to give greater access to people who um can't afford multiple tutors and um, don't want to put themselves on a ventilator by getting covid while they take the sat or the act um iris divorce remarriage how will this affect financial aid when you remarry uh assuming the kids are you know you're the custodial parent which is another definition um that's changing in 2023. I'm not gonna get into that, it's not, I'm not teasing you, I just wanna to stick to the question here. How will this affect financial aid? Your new family, if you are remarried, your new household income and everything counts. It's not just about you, even if your new husband uh, or spouse, I should say, in this politically correct world, um, even if your new spouse has no legal or ethical or moral obligation to uh, provide for your um, your 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 kids your birth kids uh, he still will in this case uh, the spouse will still be factored his income in essence so may defy common sense but there are good arguments such as you're sharing expenses so that's the way it is all right moving right along I am doing really well here I'm very proud of myself okay this is from Mackenzie how do you get around the unfairness? <laughs> Embrace it. Embrace the unfairness. Yeah, now I'm a life coach. Embrace the unfairness because that's just life. You know, it's, it's not supposed to be fair. It's not a meritocracy to get in. It sucks when you, you don't get into schools or your kids don't get into schools where they work their butts off to get into. Sometimes you're justified in feeling that like you got ripped off. Sometimes you're not. Um, Pearl's always justified if she feels like our kids got ripped off, by the way. But um, it's you know there's there's no other way to 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 well okay so so that's one answer just deal with it you know suck it up you're you're welcome, you're welcome for that um, non-refundable same joke uh, the second thing is just remember that there, there is like literally no correlation between where you go to school and how successful you're going to be literally um, yeah there are arguments that if you you know um, you pay up to go to a Wharton as opposed to going to you know school it's a little bit easier to get into um you're gonna have a little bit of an edge but i was talking to um <clears throat> a client today who's a senior and his son their uh, mom and dad and the kid got into richmond with no money being offered and got into uh ursinus in uh, pennsylvania which is a great small liberal arts school that gave like a 50 percent ride so basically um over the four years uh Richmond's $300,000 and Ursinus is like 120 or something. So the dad's like, you know, what do you think? And I'm like, are you asking me if I think it's worth paying, you know, more than double to, uh, to go to Richmond? I mean, no offense to any Richmond grads out there. Richmond is not Harvard. It's not Princeton, by the way, this this, this kid applied to all those schools too. And even if it were Harvard or Princeton, I'd probably lose this battle. But if, if it were, if it were you know, my daughter, I'm sure Pearl would insist that you know she go to uh, Harvard or Princeton over her sinus. But um, in terms of the outcomes, in terms of the rational approach to it, there's there's no correlation. P- you know, People studied it. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence, um, both ways. But no one can prove that it really matters where you, um, where you go. Um, people disagree with me, by the way. But as far as I can tell, uh, there really is not much to speak of or certainly enough to justify that 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 delta between uh you know paying 30 grand a year versus 70 something thousand dollars a year for a school that's you know not an elite school i mean it's a great school i'm, I'm not knocking it i'm just saying like how can they charge more than dartmouth or you know that that happens a lot um i have those discussions a lot also all right, Maria Donahue. How can a rising junior prepare for the personal statement essay? So I'm, you know, I'm doing this in uh, in April here, and I personally think it's a little early to be thinking about the essays. But um, um, I can tell you that um, one of the advisors that uh, that works with us, Beth, um, has been talking to uh, a couple of clients about the essays just to get them kind of thinking about it in the back of their minds. And I, you know, I, I do that with some kids too. But in, I wouldn't really start on it in, in earnest until you're done with all the finals and AP testing and all that, and um, and then you can get serious about it. But I would read the prompts first. I would also think about what you're trying to say. Um, that's going to be interesting. You know, the, the biggest mistake that people make on the essay, the kids make on the essay, is, is make them boring, uh, and that can take on you know a number of different uh, varieties of of uh, of boring um so you want to you want to talk about something that is going to um, give an admissions officer who's you know who reads 1000 applications a year on average and each application might have anywhere from 1 to 7 essays you know depending on the school you want to give them a little bit of you know, either entertainment or something that's uh, that's thought provocative something like that um so one good way to prepare is to read New York post headlines (laughs) Um, because the, the people who write headlines for the inquirer and the post um, and clickbait stuff on, you know, online, they are reportedly the highest paid copywriters in the world because their job is the same as what a, a student's job is. That's to get attention, get your attention at the checkout line or whatever website you're on. So you stop in your tracks and you're like, Oh, Brad and Angelina again. What's you know what's going on? Um, that's what the college essay writer is supposed to do. Uh, that needs to do is to have something in that first sentence that makes the admissions officer think, "Huh, that's interesting. I wonder what the next sentence is." And the purpose of the second sentence is to get you to read the third sentence and so forth. A lot of English teachers don't get this, frankly. They they're not. They don't really think as marketers. They don't understand that the job of the application and therefore the essay is to get uh, is to answer the question, this is a question that's not on the applications, by the way, but the question is, why should we take you compared to, you know, I mentioned Northeastern before, compared to these other 60,000 applicants who kind of look the same as you? You know, why you? And um, you answer that not only in the essay, but that's a big part of it, but it's through everything. It's the entire body of work that starts even in eighth grade. It's, you know, it's definitely ninth grade forward. So if you have younger kids, and uh, you know ninth, eighth grade, even sometimes we we have parents with younger kids, um, you should be thinking about what is going to be interesting and what's going to make them, uh, what's going to create, help create a body of work that ultimately is going to resonate with admissions officers. Hey, this kid's interesting. This this is why he's different. This is why we should consider him or her. Um, just to be clear, that is not a commercial to hire us or any college advisor, uh, frankly, a lot of kids are not ready in ninth or 10th grade to benefit from advice. I, I can tell you personally, I turned down two kids last week because I felt like they weren't coachable. They, they weren't going to be a good fit for us, meaning that I was gonna be giving advice that he wasn't going to take and the mom was going to have wasted, uh, frankly, a lot of money retaining us and be frustrated and I was gonna be banging my head against the wall. So. You know, that's what's most important is is to be um, coachable. If you are interested in hiring um, uh, anyone, or especially us, so why don't I just pop that in here? By the way, um, most kids aren't really mature or young enough to be able to um, to be able to benefit from that, but that doesn't mean from hiring someone, but that doesn't mean that you can't start thinking that way. Uh, You don't need a professional, you know, hired gun, uh, to necessarily, you know, to, to help you with that. Your whole body work starts in ninth grade. What happens with a lot of kids and and parents is they had that college meeting in 11th grade and they find out, Oh, this is now you're telling me about all the stuff I should have done from ninth grade forward. And then it's too late because you've done at least 50%, usually more, Of what's going to be judged when you apply to college. Uh, What I put on the screen here is if you're interested in um, exploring working together and you want more information about our programs you can set up a time. Uh, I don't have a ton of spots on my calendar so if you're interested go ahead and, and, and lock that up sooner rather than later. This is a very busy time of year for us and that's all I'm gonna say about us. I'm gonna get back to the questions. Okay um, Linda said, how to ask for more aid. I mentioned that earlier before. It, it certainly helps to have competitive offers. Um, oh, my God, this is so weird. I have a copy of my book on how to negotiate. So uh, it's such a coincidence. It's, it's, ah. So you can buy this on Amazon. I will make about $3. How to negotiate your crappy merit aid, uh, financial aid and merit aid offer. That is not refundable either. Um, Igor, would there be any negative effects for a junior to wait until September to take the SAT? I think that means September of senior year. Um, I think that puts way too much pressure on the students to do well on that uh, on that test. So I, you know, I, I think you should take it at least twice as a as a junior. And then if you need to take it another one or two times, which a lot of kids do. And you have a few more bites of the apple either over the, over the summer or in the fall. I would not wait. Okay. Uh, I answered this one. Um, Allison Gardy. if so much doesn't make sense about the admissions process this year, what does make sense and what can we expect over the next two years? So I actually think it does make sense given you know, my understanding and how I'm trying to, trying to um, explain it to to you guys um, it's it's really about how you market yourself how to make yourself stand out having plenty of safety schools that uh, you should demonstrate interest to and i i'm still finding kids are getting into great schools you know one one of their top choice schools you may not get into every ivy that you apply to but you might have a 1470 and you're competing with kids who don't get admitted in a normal year who have perfect scores so uh, i i don't really feel that um, that that a bunch of qualified kids did not get into schools they should have gotten into so far this year. The jury's still out. So I I think it's, um, I actually think it's just a continuation of a a trend that's been happening, you know, for probably 15 years. Um, Deborah, how do you build a list of colleges from nothing? (laughs) Um, Well, I I mentioned this before, we we do it backwards. You know, we think about careers then back into schools. That's how we do it. Plenty of people do it differently none um, several competitive colleges have declared test optional for the following year should we expect the same result higher applications and more competition at selective schools um, yeah i do i, I think it's going to be not as quite as much but yes um daria Narimanova. all right uh professor daria uh gap year versus transfer uh I, i'm going to interpolate what the question is um you're weighing. Uh, Whether to a gap year versus transferring I I think there's something to be said for both Uh, I do think that um, a gap year student is usually a little little bit more interesting to an admissions officer because it shows you know have you spent time outside of school to kind of you know develop yourself and personal qualities and uh, And and all that whereas someone who transfers It's still valid especially if you kick butt at the first um, the first school that you attend But uh, I see I see the arguments for both. It really depends on um, on each child uh darius child is like a genius off the charts genius and he'll be you he will do great wherever he goes whatever he does whatever he decides but consider both for sure um rika how many schools will class of 22 students have to apply to get into a school they are interested yeah i i'm going to say my my rule of thumb is going to be 10 to 12 at least and maybe a few more Chris, with all the changes over the last year, especially with students now studying more online, what do you foresee as the future majors which will give students the best return on investment? So, um, yeah, I, I don't think that's really based on the changes. I think, I think the majors that, that, that help do the best are the ones that promote critical thinking, which are usually considered like STEM, you know, STEM majors seem to do a really good job. Um, with with critical thinking there's something called the 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 CLAT the collegiate learning assessment test that actually um, measures kids improvement in critical thinking from freshman year to sophomore year I think and then all the way through to to senior year and the majors that actually do the best um, overall are stem fields but also stuff like history philosophy Um, You know, you may think, well, what's someone gonna do with the history degree, you've got to also intern and get, you know, get a real life job experience along the way. But learning how to think um, in in college is uh, is really the best major. So I don't think that has been changed by coronavirus, other than just to emphasize the networking, you you probably need to do a lot more networking than you thought you had to do before. But that doesn't, I mean, that doesn't mean that before you didn't have to do the networking. So, I hope that's a good answer. Non refundable. Laura, um, what's the right number of colleges to apply to? Answer that. What makes a school a target in addition to being in the ballpark for GPA grades? Does it need to accept a certain number of percentage of applicants from your state? So, Target school generally is generally is um, evaluated or, or people think of target schools as based on your academics. Uh, I agree t- t- to a large extent. Um, I don't think it has much to do with kids from your state unless you're applying to schools like um, North Carolina, which admits 87% or, or something like that um, from, or 83% from in-state and only you know, only 17% from out of state or whatever whatever the numbers actually work out to be. So you can look at their averages and think, okay, it's a target school, but in reality, the, um, uh, the, the, the gross median for everyone is, is kind of a skewed thing because kids from North Carolina have an easier time, slightly easier time of getting in than out of state kids. So geog- geography doesn't usually uh, come into play when you think about targets and safeties Unless you're, uh, you're, you're applying to a school like that, that that really fa- it's very competitive and really favors kids from in-state. Um, okay, I'm gonna I am i do not know the answer to this, but I'm gonna read the question. Uh, what percentage of Ivy slash MIT slash Stanford early decision kids were minority first generation college versus prior years? Um, my understanding so far is that it is roughly the same, and it's not just. Um, those categories that have an edge for early decisions, also legacies and recruited athletes, that that have an edge. So, I don't get the impression that those percentages um, increased much, if at all. If they did, it was a little bit, but I don't. I don't so far, I don't know. Diane, um, do you see that children who go to high-ranking private high schools have a significantly higher chance of getting into an Ivy League college? Yes. <laughs> so it's true, yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing. A um, um, lot of people don't really understand that uh, certain high schools are feeder schools into Ivy League schools. So I'm talking about uh, Andover and Exeter and uh, Choate and Harvard-Westlake out in LA and Noble and Grino and uh, right right near where I grew up in Newton. These are these are schools that send dozens of kids. Um, to super competitive colleges. And it's not necessarily that these kids are, are smarter or test better, it's just that the high school has a relationship, usually deserved, I will say, for having a rigorous curriculum, but also wealthy parents and perhaps um, alumni of, of those colleges. So yeah, there's definitely an edge at many private schools. It's not a rubber stamp. But uh, if you look at the numbers, they are very, at, at Ivy League schools, the admissions rates are very skewed toward these feeder schools. Hmm. All right. <clears throat> Bart. <clears throat> if the paradigm for admissions has shifted in the post-George Floyd era with a heavy emphasis on giving minority students even more of an advantage, what can, pa- Pearl, be quiet. She's God. Are you watching Fox again? Okay, okay. Just get out of the the uh, what is it called the, the echo chamber. Quiet. Um, she, that's not all she watches, okay, just to be fair. Uh, with a heavy emphasis on giving minority students even more of an advantage, what can parents and students who are not minorities do to get into top colleges? Probably want to answer that one. So so this is a non-refundable workshop and it's uh, not politically correct. Um, the short answer is um, this is about colleges having their own institutional agendas. And it's not just about admitting um, minority students. It's also about stuff like wealthy parents and legacies and all that. So um, I think the best thing you can do is just understand the rules of the game and not be shocked that just because you have super high grades and scores that you didn't get in because it's not a meritocracy. It's, but a lot of it is about some of the stuff I talked about before. It's how you market yourself. So it's about um, strategic and um, uh, atypical student activities that start early, not in 11th grade, don't be a born again junior, you know, start in ninth grade or 10th grade. So you have consistent atypical student activities, which I call CASA, consistent atypical student activities. Um, And just understand that, um, you know, things, are appear to be changing based on you know media coverage but i don't know how much they are really changing in terms of getting uh making it easier for um you know uh, minority students um to 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 get in 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 fact there there have been um some politically charged uh studies that have shown that a lot of the not just minority but a lot of the low-income students who were admitted from all parts of the country from high schools that were, you know, not as uh, because they weren't as affluent, they weren't as um, comparable to Choate and Andover and Dalton and Fielson. Um Those kids, even though they were admitted, a lot of them don't really do well in in these colleges because they're not prepared. It's not an intelligence thing. It's just it's just because they didn't go to these elite high schools. So, um, I, so I, I, what I am seeing though actually is that a lot of these elite high schools are doing more to reach out to underrepresented minorities and um, get them in to help prepare them you know for admission to uh to these top schools but anyway my, my advice is uh, you just got to deal with it you just have to understand the rules of the game um the, the earlier you start trying to distinguish yourself on paper you know from um, from the other competitors of all you know colors and creeds and shapes and sizes uh, the better but um I, I don't think a lot has changed despite the media coverage that's that's my call so far Kate how should kids approach not being able to visit colleges some kids are going but we aren't well let's hurt our kid next year when he applies i think you um you 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 get a break because again it's not worth going on a ventilator um to visit colleges even though i don't really think it's that binary choice um but um they they're they're going to be and they started to let these colleges have started to bend over backwards to figure out how to get people to visit colleges because that's when they that's when they close. That's when they close customers. So, um, so as soon as you feel comfortable, I would, I would do my best. Otherwise, there's a lot of online things. You just do the online info sessions where you register the virtual things. Um, so they see that you're interested and they see that you're serious. And it's creepy. They track everything. So keep keep in mind. Okay. Um, Jefferson is it taboo okay I mentioned this before this is a great question is it taboo to make deposits from multiple schools and then cancel and lose the deposits to accept a school from the waitlist so the party line is don't do that colleges hate that My, what I pointed out again as an amateur ethicist is a lot of parents do that and I think the theory is that um, their first duty of loyalty is to themselves not to the colleges so you 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 know you decide what's what feels right to you and I don't judge Pearl do you judge sometimes, sometimes. okay <laughs> I judge too but not not for that issue um, that's very honest Pearl. okay and how closely can a family estimate the real cost of a school if they do the net price calculator so every every college is mandated to have a net price calculator on its website um, the issue is that there is no uniform standard set of data, but it's a good starting point, even though they don't all collect the same data, but that is a, uh, that's all it is, is a starting point. It's also garbage in garbage out. So if you make a whole bunch of mistakes when you put in your income and savings on that, um, you know, that's not going to be terrific either in terms of your results. Uh, Carla, I understand there are many scholarships to apply for. And where and when do I begin to search? Thank you. So um, we have a scholarship search specialist, and what I can tell you is what she specializes in is um, finding scholarships that are uh, that match up with a kid's interests. So that's the first step: is understanding interests, um, activities, things that are, you know, that are um, uh, particularly to them like volunteering or scouting, but also to their parents uh, in terms of her, you know, heritage, employers, um, you name it, it's, it's, it's like a, a, a comprehensive profile that you should really be thinking to cast a wide net. And then looking for scholarships that are maybe not as super competitive as the ones that are listed on all those websites. So um, those tend to be the local scholarships or, or niche scholarships to those special types of categories that I, I'd mentioned before. I think that's the best way. I wouldn't spend, personally, I wouldn't spend a lot of time on FastWeb or scholarships.com or any of these sites that um, purport to have scholarships. Some are legit, some, I think, are just collecting your name and email so they can market other stuff to you after they sell your name. And um, some of them are scams. I just don't know which is which. Never pay um, for some sort of scholarship search engine. Okay. Uh, Randy, if you are accepted into one major program <clears throat> at a university, how hard is it to switch to a different major program once you get there? Uh, well, that is a school by school policy. Also, that is um, um, some schools make it very hard. Like if you're trying to switch from North, uh, uh, this is another example from Northeastern actually. If you're trying uh, if you're trying to switch from engineering to finance um, I've had kids tell them report back that Northeastern said, okay, great. Um, but all those credits that you earned are not going to uh, apply to your finance degree. So it's an extra semester you have to take. That is, um, I don't know if that's, if that's the rule. I I feel like it it really depends on what, uh, what majors you're switching among. I think that that's, so you have to really check that out. So it's hard, hard for me to give an answer on that. All right. Pearl, should I be going to the questions here? All right, so I'm going to go from oldest first. Uh, and it looks like some of these I've I've already answered. So Scott Firestone, Gap here, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm in favor of it. Um, Scott Firestone, uh, appeal financially award any downside in this environment? No, definitely not. I'm only the only time I ever tell someone not to appeal is um, is if you've done something kind of fugazi, so to speak. You know, um, all the strategies that we recommend our clients in terms of sheltering assets, those are all fine. They're all legit and they're done for legitimate financial planning reasons um however sometimes people forget they uh, not our clients but they forget they um had money lying around or you know so if you're going to open pandora's box i wouldn't do that and that's a question about the net price net price calculators accuracy mixed uh ben how do you know which majors are reputable at a college thank you yeah there there is no um I wish there were an easy way to do that, but I, I consult several different sources. Um, you can look at—I uh, think you can look at um, PayScale.com. Forbes, I think, has some good information on that. I use my own sort of—you know—semi-proprietary lists and publications that uh, I resort to. Um, I wish there was one database, but F- Forbes is usually pretty good. Question from fellow North alum Heidi Gash: uh, How do you show that you are interested? Hi, I just fake it. Um, I know you hate these things that I do, but just oh, 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 interested for college. Um, yeah, you you have to uh, sign up for all these info sessions, and you got. And if you can't visit, I, I would suggest you visit. But if you can't do that, you have to um, do some outreach to these. Co- if they send you an email, click on it. Not you, you know, um, this is for kids. Click on the email. They see where you go. You know, they, they see the landing page that they set up for you to go. Then they see where you went from there. So there, there are sort of creepy things like that that um, you know we're in the world of like big data and Moneyball comes to uh, college admissions. They they're tracking everything, so uh, just be conscious of that. Uh, follow them on social. That's another that's another one. Uh, Noreen, show sure that you're interested. Does that mean clicking into emails? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, Sharon, what are excellent extracurriculars to stand out? Well, I mean, there's so many of them, but um, it's it's just again think about something, in my opinion, it should be something that a child's already interested in, or maybe a career they're interested in exploring. Um, but if they're already doing something, maybe you plus that. Maybe you accentuate it. So I had a um client last year who's a senior this year who um was very involved with a certain type of charity for um uh Paralympic type of athletes and par- paraplegic athletes who played uh hockey um they're like the sl- sled dogs or something and she you know she's been very involved with them for Uh, A few years and uh, we talked about how she could plus or accentuate that so so that that in and of itself is pretty cool but she decided to interview them and record the interviews and post the videos and she she had them transcribed and compiled that into a book um, did a lot of social media stuff got a lot of attention raised money for the charity so that's just one example but there's you know literally hundreds of different things it depends on each kid Uh, okay Wow, I just, a whole lot more questions came in here. Um, all right, I'm, I'm gonna go for another few minutes here. Um, so last call for questions. <clears throat> um, yeah, some of these are very specific and, and the best questions are ones that pertain to um, more than you, <laughs> okay. Um, Daria, could you please explain rigor a little more? Yeah, sure. So So rigor just means how hard your classes are. So if you're taking the hardest classes that the school has to offer, Um, and as many of them as possible, that looks great compared to a kid who says, eh, I don't want to have such a hard schedule. I'm going to take half of them. So if you take only six out of 12, that doesn't look as good as someone who goes to another high school who takes six out of six. Hope that helps. Gene, yield rate important this year. Uh, Yeah, and they're still trying to figure that out. But yes, Um, yield is the percentage of kids who get in versus who matriculate. Okay, do colleges think there's more grade inflation in the high schools because of COVID? That's from Rika. I think that's a fact, um, but they, they try to find out from each guidance counselor um, what the deal is for that particular school. Uh, Professor Greenberg, how, how much more of a boost does early decision give you compared to restricted early action? Um, I, I actually think they're kind of interchangeable. For the most part, um, so uh, so I consider yeah I consider them more than the same. Gene Dartmouth announced that they accepted forty eight percent students of color. What does it mean? Asians are considered people of color. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know. Um, I don't think so, but uh, but I don't know. And good for Dartmouth. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I mean, I just I just like how that's like a badge of honor. You know, that makes us better. How many of that 48% were vaccinated? That's really the question. Um, Noreen, how many, (laughs) uh, just picture everyone dropping after I, after after I mentioned that in this non-refundable workshop. Uh, How many extracurricular activities is considered enough? Um, You know, it's, it's, it's one of these cliches. It's, it's really not um, quantity. It's quality, but um, it can't be like two. You know, it's it's got to be the college is like people who are involved. You just, but that's different than someone who joins like fifty clubs just to be, you know, just to look good for college, quote unquote. It's really got to be um, depth over breadth is is much more uh, preferable. Uh, Lee, if college is ro- rolling mission to maximize your chances of getting in, should you apply as soon as rolling missions opens? Um, there's two schools of thought on that. If you're if you're at the top of that, if you think you're going to be at the top of that cohort, yes. But if you are near the bottom. Keep in mind that um, the people who generally apply early to things are the uh, try-hard kids, you know, who do do really well, the grinders. So I wouldn't, if if you if you are near the, you know, you're, you're not the top of that class in terms of grades and scores, as, as best as you can predict, I would wait. I would not. I would not go early. Uh, Anita, what's your opinion of Brandeis as a school? It's a little Jewishy. <laughs> Sorry. It's actually not. Uh it used, to, it used to be very Jewishy. Um I think it's a great school. I think I think um uh, a lot of people I know who go there really and have gone there really love it. And I think high quality school, it's very strong in the sciences and, and other areas. Um so I am I'm, I'm a fan of it. Um Nita, did you tell me shut up? That was funny. Jewishy is funny, Pearl. It's not easy doing what I do. I Who am I gonna offend by saying that? Come on. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, what you put in the chat, so you know you knew there's a risk. All right, Sarah,, uh, what is the general tip on applying to a school that has two different major studies that my child is equally interested in pursuing? Um, well, some of majors are harder to get into than others, so I would be strategic and possibly um, if, if you can do this, if it makes sense, apply to the um, major that's easier. Uh, Nicholas, ACT versus SAT, any thoughts on which carry more weight? I have thoughts and the answer is neither. They are equally weight, weighted, weightful, weightastic. Carrie, almost done here. but um, you keep thinking of more questions here. I said last call, okay. Uh, double secret last call for questions. Carrie, if a student has been accepted to a private school and waitlisted a state school, is it ethically amateurish to send a letter to the waitlisted school stating strong interest in hopes of being accepted, but then ultimately end up going to the private school? Parent wants state, child wants private. Yeah, um, interesting question. Um, no, I mean if you're waitlisted, you're just showing that you're interested. So what's I don't I don't I mean either I'm just a Total sle- sleaze ball, or uh, I don't see the ethics, the ethical implications there. So no, do do what's best for you, and you're not double depositing, which you know again I gave my opinion on that. This is nowhere near like that. Uh, Yanka Rondo. So if you have twenty five colleges on your list showing demonstrated interest, will be a part time job. Um, yeah, twenty five is a lot, and yeah, it can it can feel like it. Don't get crazy with it though. Um, I don't recommend that, you know, just demonstrating answers all day. But you need to do it a few times a week. Gene, it was a bloodbath from New York City kids, especially boys. Are colleges comparing students before they accept them since there was no double admits? No double admits in, uh, not sure what that means. Um, There's no quotas for high schools. I don't know if that's what you're asking. It's it's really more about um, you, you are compared with other kids from your high school in terms of, you know, uh what that high school offers but um uh i don't think they are comparing kids more than ever they kids are always compared against their fellow classmates but they compete with people all over the world and i know it's very hard for people to uh, understand or even believe me on there are no quotas at high schools but um you talk to any admissions officer i know a ton of them and they, they all say the same thing All right. Uh, Adrian, that's a question that a lot of people had. I answered this before. What if extracurriculars are limited due to COVID? You need to think out of the box. You need to get entrepreneurial. Um, Villanova or Binghamton, I I can't answer that one. Uh, Bill, thoughts on negotiating a financial aid offer with a need-based only school versus a need-based and merit-based school where the merit uh, uh, add additional savings and guaranteed all four years. Yeah, I would. I would just go for it. I mean, the, the need based school may not uh, be able to to compete with a merit offer, that's for all four years. But it's a new world out there. I would always try. There's no downside. You know, you you, you just money is money. So who cares whether they call it need based or merit aid? We see that mixed and blurred uh, to be, you know, to be nice all the time. So um, yeah. So so just just go for it. All right. Uh, last question from from David. I, was I surprised? when He's, he's, he's taken a shot at um, our class president, Mursky, who is, is that see that what's not cool about that is that there's no way he's even on this to defend himself. So, um, so I'm going to dodge that question. And, um, and say good night to everyone. And th- thank you for uh, participating. If you have any questions, so have a time to speak or you can shoot us an email. Uh, really appreciate this is always fun for us to do speaking on behalf of Pearl who's in the background cackling. Um, So, so uh, we'll keep in, you know, keep an eye out for another one of these soon. We have a few more planned coming up uh, this month and throughout the spring. All right. Have a great night. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the college planning edge podcast. For more information about our inner circle group coaching membership, which is a great way to dip your toes in the water of the whole college planning morass, Um, and get access to our double-secret software, College Guru software, that helps you create a strategic list of colleges and identify fat-juicy merit aid and need-based aid opportunities, as well as some other benefits. Check out the Lockwood Inner Circle at lockwoodinnercircle.com and use the coupon code podcast for 50% off the first month's membership. Thanks for listening.